It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 640 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I'm looking forward to today's conversation with my guest, Jeff Kozer. Jeff is the CEO of Selling to Zebras, Inc., and author of the book of the same name, Selling to Zebras, How to Close 90% of the Business You Pursue Faster, More Easily, and More Profitably. Now, in our conversation, Jeff and I are going to talk about value selling and why everyone on your go-to-market team who touches the customer needs to know the business problem that they solve that creates real value for your customer. Now, unfortunately, it seems like most companies really don't focus on make sure their teams know the business problem they solve for the customer. So we're going to talk about how to solve that and what it means for your efforts to close business with your zebras, your zebras being those accounts who are the perfect prospect for your product and service. And Jeff's also going to share with us how you identify your zebras. So stick around for this great conversation. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 640. Now, before we jump into my conversation with Jeff, let me say that I often hear from listeners that there are who are looking for a new sales challenge. And I tell them that one of the most important elements to career success is aligning yourself with the right company, one that develops its employees, ones that values their customers, and one that has a portfolio, portfolio excuse me, of category-leading products, really sort of category kings that can compete with anyone in the market. Now, with its recent acquisition of Level 3, the new CenturyLink has become a category leader in providing cloud security, real-time communications, and managed services. So if you're a top sales producer and you're looking to challenge yourself in order to take your career to the next level, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate. That's CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and join their talent community and see if CenturyLink is the right career step for you. All right, let's get to it. Jeff Kozer, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, Andy. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. You know, we discovered we're both uh, Wisconsin kids, Badgers. <laughs> kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with Badgers. Hey, I remember it's a, the survey that came from Fortune magazine a number of years ago. Like, you know, the number one school producing CEOs of the Fortune 500, University of Wisconsin. So, oh, I did not know that. I'm yeah, going to use that. <laughs> I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's changed. You know, from year to year, but at that point in time, they were number one. But so, yeah, yeah. Back in the day when they had good education. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so a question for you. So I start every interview with this question. Is in your mind, what's what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Um, I think the single biggest challenge is that most of the reps are feature function sellers, and and they've all heard that word, and they have to be value sellers, and and they've all heard that phrase, <laughs> but but they I don't think they know how to make the change from feature function to value because I'll just throw a statistic out there that I can't really back up, but I'll bet you ninety maybe ninety five percent of the sellers out there are still feature function sellers. Yeah, I mean that's probably not too far out of whack, I would imagine. Yeah, and that. You know, nobody wants to buy from that person anymore. So how do they cross the bridge? I mean, I, it's not like people aren't being trained. I mean, I, this is sort of a leading question because I have my own answer to the question. But but you know, where are we falling short? Well, it actually is because they're not being trained. 
It's and it's because training is seen as an event as opposed to a lifelong thing. Right. I mean, right. I mean, it's you can't do a launch of an idea and and then expect it to take root. You have to. It has to be a continuous thing. It's it's like lean, right? I mean, look at how many companies do lean and they think it was a slogan on a coffee cup or on a pencil. Right. And 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 they didn't achieve anything with it. I mean, you were telling me your dad was in quality. You know, quality was. Has been around for so long, and and everybody thought maybe twenty years ago that it was something new, but it, but it wasn't. And those companies that did it well, they made that a a continuous improvement path, mm-hmm. and that's that's what value selling has to be. It has to be a continuous improvement path. Well, so let's dig into that for a second. So, where's the responsibility lie? Because on one hand, you know, people have to commit to being continuous lifetime learners, but on the other hand. You know, companies are sort of also saying, you know, this whole learning thing, this is really on your time. This is on your nickel. You know, we're going to do this event training, but if you really want to get smart about stuff, we expect you to go out and do this all on your own, which to a certain degree is fair. But, you know, companies aren't really, to my mind, aren't really offering the time and the the type of, of learning experience that people need. Wow, where do I begin on that one? <laughs> so, I mean, you so you, you do have to have self motivation. That that's that lifelong learning thing. I, right. I, I don't think I don't think you can motivate anyone. I think you can inspire, but yes. you can't motiv- motivate. Right. Hundred percent so, agreement. I, I knew you would. Um, you know, so so I think you have to bring the right stuff to the table too. So the the individual is it has to be accountable too. But but organizations when they do when they do training. So my, my belief is, you're, when you sell value, it isn't the sales organization alone. In fact, if they are alone, then the, then you don't sell value because nobody's equipped to deliver it. Mm-hmm. So it has to be about everyone who touches the customer. And everyone who touches the customer, by definition, means your your go to market. So it has to be everyone involved in not just the sale, but the creation of a proposal, the delivery of a proposal, the creation of products that fulfill on the promises. And everybody has to know the business problem that you solve in the eyes of the customer in order to create real value. And and that therein lies the root of the problem. Most companies can't answer that basic question, Andy. What business problem do you solve in the eyes of your customer? Well, yeah, certainly not to the depth that you you talked about, which I think is absolutely spot on. Is is yeah? I, I, I remember telling a story before about a big client of mine that that CEO came and and visited our company and and uh, insisted on seeing somebody in customer service. Before he said anything to the CEO and I, and it's because that was Tim was the most important person in the organization who knew the business problem we were solving. And, and that's kind of insightful, isn't it? Yeah, and and demonstrate that in her actions. That's true, and those yeah, and those people those people very often um, are some of the most underappreciated and feel the most underappreciated in the business. Of course, because they're. "Quote unquote," not in sales, right? Even though they're customer facing. Yes. <laughs> well, so a question for you: So your organization selling to zebra. So just so people listening, let's first define a zebra. Sure. So a zebra is your perfect prospect, and we call it a zebra because when you look at a zebra, even a three-year-old that goes to the zoo knows exactly what a zebra is. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I love it. <laughs> it's simple, right? Yeah, that's and, right. It's the head slap, the V8 moment. You you know it when you see it. Yes. So that's that's really the whole concept and 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 developing. But it, so it's simple to talk about, not so simple to to actually create. Um, which many many good principles are simple to talk about, but they do take some thought to actually figure out how you actually define that. Yeah. So when someone, so I, you can go through the process a little bit of of how you define that, and then I, it's sort of interesting question I wanted to get into because when I saw your description of and uh, what you said a zebra is, is I thought, wow, this is like an answer to some problems. And one of the the huge problems we have in sales these days is that uh, people do a really lousy job of qualifying their prospects. Yeah, we talk about that. That's been talked about for 50 years, probably, right? <laughs> well, and um, I, right. And I think a part of the issue for me is always that, and I wrote about this in my second book, is is that the problem is that most people qualify the prospect to sort of the, the category of product they're selling. Oh, you want to, we're selling a CRM system. Oh, you want a CRM system. Great, you're a qualified prospect as opposed to, and you have the budget and authority and need, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, Bant. Bant, Bant yeah. that's what, yep, but, that, yeah. But I contend, and what my experience has always showed me in selling large, complex systems is that I have to qualify somebody to buy exactly what I'm selling. You do. <laughs> Which is what you talk about with the zebras. You find somebody that's a, that fit. They don't want just something sort of like what you're selling. They want exactly what you're selling. Yeah, that's right. And that goes back to that, what we were talking about a moment ago, which is the business problem you solve. And that's, so, so, the, way, so the way you design it, um, you sit down with the management team and you go through a process of defining who your best customers are and why, what problem you solve for them. And you look at organizationally where you fit, operationally where you fit. You look at who the decision maker typically was. We call that power. You look at actual titles, so you mm-hmm. kind of look deeper, right? And then we do the classic things that you got you got to have is funding and ROI is next, and then technology and service. But 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 you don't stop there. You then take it to the sales department and you review it. And then you score some deals. And it's a simple scoring system. And when you score some deals and you score some wins and you score some losses, some other things start to pop out. And we kind of call that putting the meat on the zebra bones. And then you, then you probably have your a good first straw man. And, and then you go test that in your customer base. So you actually talk with your customers doing voice of the customer work to confirm what you think your zebra is. Go and to that's your, your, just so people understand. They go to your existing customers. Existing customers, yep. And and not just anybody. You go to power. You go to the person who, who wherever that person was, who, who eventually was the person that had to sign off on the purchase. And you ask them why they bought. And you'd be amazed at what you learn, which is different than what you thought. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I'd be curious what you find because – one of the things that, in my experience, again, I sold large, complex communication systems, you know, millions of dollars, and 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 oftentimes, you know, we were having to do fairly complex proposals, and you know, we were spending you know, years, oftentimes, selling the selling this. And I remember filling out compliance matrix, you know, matrices about you know hmm. these features, da 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 da. But what I found afterwards when I did the debrief with the power, as you talked about, 
is that person had, you know, if there are 200 items in the compliance matrix, they had one thing that they really cared about. Yes. And if you could find out that one thing ahead of time, your odds of winning the business went up substantially. Yeah. So that, so, 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 and that's then about changing the conversation, right? So right. If, if you, if you have four or five, which is what usually comes out of this voice of the customer works. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, so a manufacturer, um, it, it, their client, um, their, uh, they make plastic parts. Um, and, and these are pretty complex plastic mm-hmm. parts. So they, they meet certain tolerances and, um, and then they'll, they can even print on them. They print on substrates and, sure. and that type of thing. So think dashboards in a car, you know, think of, um, uh, oh, the face plate on, on uh, washing machine, you know, that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those things are pretty exacting. Right. Uh, you, know, they're, you know, they're bought by very large procurement organizations, right? So, um, and they, and they also make, so one of their customers is, is Honda. They make, uh, the ATV side of Honda. Okay. So when we talked and did the voice of the customer work with Honda, you know, we went down the path that they had told us, you know, do you buy because they have this excellent engineering expertise? And they said, well, yeah, sort of. And they said, well, they can solve, you know, any, any plaques, plastics related problem and they said well they that's pretty well true i said well then why did you buy and why do you buy when you can buy for a fraction of the price from china you know the right in fact you know they're closer to china than they are to the u.s where this plant was so that their china had an advantage that usually doesn't exist right but what they said surprised me which caused us to probe it you know through a series of calls which was these guys never shut down our manufacturing facility. And I said, well, okay, obviously that's, that's a big problem. Let's talk about, I mean, I know it's very expensive from experience. What does it cost you? Right. And they said, $250,000 a time. And I said, that sounds like a lot, <laughs> you know, even for a minute or two. And they said, well, imagine a whole line shutting down and then starting up. So that's the average. I said, okay, how many times does the average tier one supplier shut down your line? They said two and a half times a year. I said, okay, so when's the last time Saragraph, which is this client, shut down your line? And they said, it's been over three years. We, we can't even recall. So there's a, a huge cost avoidance advantage where they're keeping that supply chain, they're keeping that manufacturing line going. They never yeah. talked about that. Yeah, a million and a half dollars worth. That's pretty significant, right? Well, it is, and it changes the conversation. So then they said they, they said they bring their creativity. Okay, what does that mean? Because I always try to quantify these things, right? Because that's esoteric, right? In, right. So they said, well, they constantly figure out ways of collapsing our supply chain. So they eliminate parts by combining them into something. They eliminate suppliers. They've taken days out of our supply chain, and that's worth millions. Because now their supply chain is less volatile. It's less costly, but it's also less volatile. So now, you know, it's, we, we found four or five things like that in their customer base, and it just completely has changed the conversation for them. And the metrics-based results mm-hmm. that they've achieved are, are so good, they're almost unbelievable, Andy. Right. These, these guys have improved their margins 211%. They reduced their sales cycles 26%, and 
they've increased their pipeline close rate 350%. And this is a significant manufacturer who are selling to very talented and very well-trained procurement departments for some of the largest companies in the world. So how how are you going to move metrics like that? Well, they completely changed the conversation. Yeah. Well, they found that one thing, as, as we talked about, that really made the difference for the customer. And everybody has that. This is what's interesting. They Your do. listeners will listen and they'll think, hmm, is, does that exist for my business? It absolutely does. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to find it. Yeah, I... I <laughs> was involved with my team was selling to this uh, large cruise line that had casinos on board the cruise ships and they wanted you know high speed internet connectivity to the ships and they wanted uh, phone service and uh, you know some safety things and so on and so forth but as, as as I started digging with the the CEO of the client what it really became clear was that he was going to justify the whole thing just by making sure that the link never went down so his real-time take on the casinos was transparent. Oh, oh yes, because that's where their entire profit came that's from. Where the profit that. came. So that's all he was concerned about was availability of the link for the casino. Um, there you go. There you and, go. And we found that out and no one else did. And yeah, you know, led to a huge order. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's that qualifying people to buy <laughs> the exact thing, right? It's and it's it's the other thing with qualification that I find because you know you've you read the statistics is fifty percent in B two B the latest report I saw in the last couple of months was yeah fifty percent of quote unquote qualified prospects in the pipeline never close or never reach a decision right that's so, that's that's exactly right which is a decision in itself and you know most people don't sort of see that but that is a decision because you haven't given them a compelling reason to buy but but part of that is that people also think qualification is a one time event that's right. And it's and it's an every time you touch them event, exactly. but it's not. But it's not the way that sellers were taught to qualify, because that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the idea of qualifying on every touch is annoying? Yes, and and the way they were taught, right? The, the you were going down the Bant path before, right? Oh, I hate, so, I, I hate Bant, so I, I just throw I that do, out. I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I do too, right? So tell everybody what Bant means. You and I both know what it is. Yeah, budget, yeah. budget, 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 authority, need, time frame. Yeah, and that's the way we were all. I taught. I was taught that way, and it's yeah. that's annoying. It it's not relevant whether or not they have the budget because if they have a budget, it still doesn't mean they're going to spend it, right? Or it, even it, if they don't have a budget, it doesn't mean they're not going to buy. That's right. It it doesn't mean any of those things. Right. So it's 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 irrelevant, and they don't want to answer those questions. And when you're really in front of an executive, that they won't let you go down that path. In fact, you won't even get in front of them. <laughs> no. Well, let me ask a question about that. So, and this sort of plays off something you had said earlier, is certainly one of the things that we've we've heard because you talk about this idea of power and. You know, as I was reading that and then thinking, okay, well, you know, obviously one of the big things we hear about in B2B sales today is that, you know, it's more consensus oriented and there's more stakeholders involved than there were in the past. I mean, you sold large enterprise stuff. I did. I mean, but you did software, ERP systems. Do you think that's really the case? That there's more people involved in the decision or that it's more consensus oriented than it was in the past? I think it's. 
the same as what I experienced um, because it was a, it was an enterprise wide decision and it was a bet your business decision. Right. But but I do think that that more industries are experiencing that. So so yes, I do think across the board, it's more of an enterprise decision or more of a collaborative decision for things that people are buying. I do think that that has. Um, penetrated more B2B decision cycles. So, so yes, that's true. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a person in a position of power where you can't have a brief conversation first to make sure that you can be sponsored in the way that you want to be sponsored to work with that broader decision committee. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what we're saying. Some, sometimes I do get into discussions, you know, because there, it is a collaborative decision and there's no question you have to win at that collaborative level. But what we prescribe is that you earn the right through the creation of a business case, a hypothesis of value, if you will, have that brief conversation first with the person who has the problem that you solve. And, and again, it goes back to that being clear about the, the problem you solve and the three or four or five that might be unique for your solution and just gaining their commitment that if you can prove this level of value to that broader team that they trust, that they would be interested enough to actually move forward. Right. Yeah. And, th- and that's it. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> to me, that's not, not a huge change. You said maybe more industries are experiencing it. Um, but I think, in my experience, again, is that anytime you're in an enterprise, you know, they are, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you had that same challenge. You had a diverse group of decision makers that had different yes. interests that basically had to reach some sort of consensus. But, and there was some research that some, uh, a guy, a professor at USC named Steve Martin, business professor, he did for Discover Org, saying that, yeah, you know, in these groups of stakeholders, there's still somebody who's more equal than everybody else. More equal. I like that. That's exa- that's exactly true. And he he called it the bully with a pulpit. But you know, it's just human nature, right? There's going to be people who are maybe more you know, inspiring, more leaders, or whatever. The other people they're going to have their opinions, and their opinions will count. But at the end of the day, there's some deference to this other person. That's right. And so that's- finding that person really becomes important, as you talked about, to have that word with them as you get started. And and just just defining, if you first define the business case, that there there is only a select group of people who will even understand that. There's only a select group of people who will appreciate the difference in in your approach when you come with a business problem that you solve that isn't tied to these features and functions. Your features and functions ultimately create and address that problem and create the value, but that's not what they talk about. They they, they don't even understand those features and functions. That's part of that broader group. That's right. That's why yeah. they'll push. If you come talking about features and functions, they'll push you to that broader group because they don't understand it. They're not only and they don't care. To and they don't. I was going to say they don't care because they just care about the solution. That's right. That's right. So let me ask you about account-based marketing because you were sort of beginning to touch on that uh, in an earlier conversation we had had. Is is so? There's a lot of buzz around that these days in the enterprise sale. Is is again? Is that just a repackaging of of old processes or is there something that's that's really new and valuable there for for your clients 
You know, um, I heard you say on another one of your podcasts, um, you talked about the mass personalization at scale. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is this is sort of like that, right? Because what companies are talking about doing... You're, you're hearing my skepticism about that. Yeah, hopefully. Just, oh, to, make, yeah, just to make that clear I, to people. <laughs> oh, I was. Oh, I, 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 I liked it. I wrote it down. I liked it so much. Um, you know, mass mass based or market account based marketing is is something similar. What the, what they're really talking about doing is personalizing everything to a level where you make it that 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 uh, personalization at scale. That's really what that is for your best customers, and they're applying automation to it, which um, you know maybe we'll get there someday. But the hype, you know, like usual, still hasn't kept up with that. And mm-hmm. you know, we we prescribe. That you figure out who those people are by defining who your zebras are. It's it's not just about who's buying from you. It's it's truly understanding why they're buying from you. It's like you were saying before when you were we were talking and you were dissecting things and you were talking about statistics not meaning anything unless you take a look at the size of the company, the industry, the the problem that you solved. And and when you peel the onion like that and you figure that out, then you can actually attack it from an account based marketing perspective and. And that's that's what we've been saying. Well, I've been doing zebras for for an awful long time, but that's really what zebras are all about. And and we know how hard it is to automate that because we're actually trying to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And and we think we're uniquely qualified to do that because we have data in our software that nobody else has. And even with that, ours isn't working yet, Andy. You know, you 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 still have to figure that out on the human level. Otherwise, you create really good messaging that nobody cares about. Still, nobody cares about it. Still, nobody cares about. It. Yeah. Well, but yeah. we have this whole uh, segment of sales enablement companies, which I don't want to you know tar everybody with the same brush, but. But I mean, I'm having a conversation with one CEO of one of those companies, and they're talking about their product and saying that you know what we do is you know we we tell the rep exactly what content the buyer needs at what point in the the sales process or in their buying process. And I thought that's arrogant. <laughs> well, my first thought is, well, if your rep doesn't know that, what are they doing? Right? Isn't that it, well, the, isn't that the rep's job to know? That is that is the rep's <laughs> job to know that. Yeah, we we can't, we can't automate everything. It, you know, we have to we have to be still be thinking about these things. I mean, it's nice if we get the technology to give us some nudges with AI and you know machine learning, thinking, you know, analyzing our emails and so on and so forth. But yeah, you know, we can't can't disintermediate the salesperson. No, because, you know, I heard you say on another recent podcast those guys bring too much value that they're not going away anytime soon, and and that's very true. We are not at a place where, if we will ever be. To eliminate salespeople, certainly not in complex sales, for sure. No, no, B two B complex sales. It's that's that's still how revenue is made. <laughs> well, so let me ask you another another question: is because you referenced you know, increased close rates? Um, yeah, you're sort of in the software business, right? I mean, you're that's right, a SaaS, that's right. A SaaS company, and so. Close rates, sort of an average in the SaaS business, appear to be sort of in the low 20s in terms of okay. qualified close rates of qualified prospects in the pipeline. And to me, that's, that's sort of unsustainable from a, from a scaling perspective. And that, 
you know, really overlooks some real key issues about productivity and making the most of the the opportunities you have as opposed to just mass marketing to a broader number of opportunities. So when you were selling, you know, again, you're hosted software solutions, obviously different than SaaS, but they were the predecessor to SaaS. I take it you probably had more than a 20% close rate on those big opportunities. If I told you our close rates, Andy, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> no, I, I probably would. So we we used the Zebra at that time, and we had a 90% close rate. And we did it for, I did it within my organization for a period of five years, and I, I used it to help launch Bond. And then I used it, so I built two businesses. They they asked me to move over and and run, and build the supply chain business, and we did it again in conjunction inside of the Bond organization. And when I left, it was um, just shy of eight hundred million. The two companies together, right? Um, but it it yeah, we we consistently closed ninety percent of our pipeline because you were selling to people who are uniquely qualified to buy what you were uniquely selling. We and we, everyone in the bond organization understood what the bond zebra was. I, even the person that answered the phone, and this is back in the days when people did answer the phone, <laughs> <laughs> or or when people called. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think that's, and I think this is is really a critical thing for for people listening in the audience is that is if you think you have a productivity issue, in my mind, it's really a performance issue, and it starts, you know. A lot of times companies are saying, well, geez, how can we reduce the bureaucratic burden on salespeople and so on, which is an admirable goal. But even with what we have our salespeople doing today, they have to get better at it first. Let's not worry about giving them additional time to to do it just like they're doing now. That's The gains can be very marginal at best. Is We have to really focus on how do we increase productivity. And I, and I really you know, like the idea of the zebra and knowing it at once, but it's that you know people are uniquely qualified to buy exactly what you're selling, and we just don't take qualification. We talking in sales in general just aren't taking it to that level. If we did, we'd find our close rates going up pretty substantially. Well, we use the process to allow a prospect to opt in or opt out themselves, so they qualify in or qualify out themselves, mm-hmm. and and it feels really good. Because what you're really then doing is setting up a buying cycle as opposed to a selling cycle. You know, right. They feel in, in control, and, and they are. They are. Um, and, and because you work them through what your zebra is, and, and you then come to a conclusion collectively whether or not it makes sense for you both to continue. Because you've, you've done your homework within your customer base, but then you've also done your, your homework as you, as you targeted that prospect, and you found evidence that there's a good fit, and you present that evidence. And if, and if they agree that it is, and the timing is right, then you continue. And if they say it isn't, well, now you've got a really good answer that is exactly what you want, and, and you find out when the timing might be right, because they probably have the problem, because you did your homework, and you come back when the timing is right, and you move on to the next guy where they have the problem, and the timing aligns. Yeah, we still have this problem of, of, I think, misplaced incentives, especially as we go more to inside sales, where you know it's all about uh, multiples of coverage of pipeline and so on, and uh, or multiples of coverage in the pipeline for the number. Oh yeah, four x. Right? Uh, yeah, four x, five x, and you know, someone <laughs> once asked me that question. You know, <laughs> I said, "Yeah, what sort of coverage do you need?" I said, "I needed exactly what I needed." 
to make my number or to blow it's my number prof- away. I didn't, it's a profound I didn't, answer. Right? I didn't need five, five times or five X that. I just needed the number because I was going to close it. Yeah, yeah. So, Andy, I, I hate to hate to cut you short, but I, I that that uh, ringing in my ear actually was another pod or not a podcast, but a webinar starting. Okay. So, well, so let's, I actually yeah, we'll, have we'll to wrap go. it up. So, so tell folks how. Uh, usually, I'm the one that has to terminate it. So, tell folks how they <laughs> tell folks how they uh, they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. So they can find us at www.sellingtozebras.com. That's S-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-Z-E-B-R-A-S.com. And they can find me on LinkedIn under Jeff Kozer. I'm easy to find, K-O-S-E-R. All right. And, and they can find our book. I mean, it's the same on, name. On it's easy to find. There exactly. you go. All right. Well, Jeff, I know you got to run. Thank you very much for your time. Look forward to having you back on the show again at some point. And, I'd love to. Oh, that'd be fantastic. And friends, thank you for just spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back and join us for our next episode of Accelerate. Uh, if you get a chance, in the meantime, go to iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe. We really appreciate it. So I'm your host, Andy Paul. Until next time, good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>